listener production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. Join us each week as we break down one issue in global politics so that you can understand what's going on in the world right now and what's likely to happen in the future. Our host, Dr. Keith Souter, is one of Australia's leading commentators on global affairs and geopolitics. My name is Sasha Barbagat. I'm a journalist. Well, a lot has happened since we last sat down with Dr. Keith Souter, namely the attempted and failed coup in Russia. The head of the Wagner Group, Yevgeny Prigozhin, led the attempt and has now been exiled. So what is a coup and why do they fail? Keith, let's start with the basics. What is a coup? (laughs) (laughs) So the coup would be a forcible transfer of power where one person removes another and then takes over, usually a a country, but you can have coups within organisations, within companies and that sort of thing. So it's basically a removal of somebody and then somebody else coming in. They're a standard way of getting political change in the world. You can go back for centuries and notice the history of coups, particularly in politics. The article that I've been reading on this subject is by Brian Class, who is Associate Professor of Global Politics at University College London, and he's writing in the Atlantic magazine, and he's looking at why coups fail. Mm. So we're well well aware of ones which seem to succeed, but he's looking at why they fail. And, of course, obviously it was the failed coup by Evgeny Prigogin that has triggered this interest. His argument is that, in effect, Putin survived the coup but may not survive for the long term. Mm. In other words, that Putin's problem is that he's now revealed to be weak because somebody felt brave enough to attempt a coup against him. Our problem with Prigogin, who's not been seen since allegedly fleeing to Belarus, we don't know for sure that he's there. He did give one media statement, but it was simply a voice statement. There were no pictures, so we couldn't tell from the background whether he was in an urban setting or rural setting or where it could be. We don't know really if he's in Belarus or whether he's on his way to Africa, for example, which is where his organisation makes a lot of money in looting gold mines and diamond mines, etc. So Prigogin put on this coup, but we don't know why. We know he was dissatisfied with the way in which the Russian military have conducted the attack on Ukraine. He's not a particularly nice person. I've got to emphasise that right up front. So it's one bad guy trying to remove another bad guy. Mm-hmm. There are no heroes here. Mm-mm. And he, he has a record of brutality, as does Putin. And he, by the looks of it, was fed up with the way in which the invasion of Ukraine had gone so badly. And so he decided to seek to get the removal of the two key figures, as the Russian Minister of Defence and the Chief of the Russian Defence Staff, to get those two removed. Whether he was actually intending to take over Putin, who knows? If you look at the film footage of the march on, on Moscow, it was a fairly small convoy. It wasn't thousands. And we're talking about taking over a city of millions. It remains a mystery as to why he did this. There is even speculation that perhaps there's some sort of super subtle plot going on. In other words, that they pretended to have a coup which gave him the opportunity to go to Belarus. And, of course, in Belarus, you can attack Ukraine from the north. So is he there 
under false pretenses, so to speak, but still a good friend of Putin, mm. and getting ready to put in a surprise attack on Ukraine from the north when Ukraine has got so many of its forces based in the south and the east. So who knows? There are just so many things that are unexplained. You know, the standard media expression is this story's got a lot of legs. (laughs) 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 So it's going to keep running for quite a while. But then this academic from the University College London, Brian Class, decided to look at, well, why do coups fail? Let's move away from just the Przorgin issue and let's stand back and look at it. He says that since the end of World War II, two-thirds of all dictators have been toppled in coups d'etat, irregular seizures of power that are usually led by a group within the military. However, in recent years, coups have become less common. During the height of the Cold War, an average of 13 coup plots were executed each year globally. However, since 2010, that number has hovered around two to three a year. So there's actually a reduced number of coups. The world is becoming a more stable place. And he says that because these are rare events, it's very difficult to draw up any particular pattern. In the article, he comes up with some sort of general conclusions, but we really don't have enough of a range of coups to be able to say, this is how you do it. The first thing that struck me, I've got to say, about Pajorgin's march on Moscow is that you've got to take control of the media. And he clearly had failed to do that. Mm. Um, So I'm not sure, even if he'd gotten to Moscow, what he would have achieved. My guess is that Putin would have ordered, let's assume that it really was an attempted coup. My guess is that exposed on that roadway heading north towards Moscow, they could easily have been bombed out of existence by fighter aircraft and bomber aircraft. So as I say, the whole thing remains still a mystery. You know, some people have said to me, look, don't expect too much from Pajorgin. He's a caterer. <laughs> Remember, <laughs> if you look back at his background, he, he was a petty criminal, yes. went to jail, had a decade in jail for violent crime, comes out, and the Soviet Union had disappeared. It's now this post-Soviet era of Russia, and he sets up a hamburger store. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so he's gone from fast food and then, you know, gradually built that up. He's clearly got a good business entrepreneurial nous. So he built up the uh, the little food fast food store into becoming a, a major supplier of food to the Russian government. That's how they use that expression, that he's simply Putin's chef. <laughs> he was Putin's chef. Yeah. He's got a background in cooking, wow. not military strategy, but he's been able to set up this mercenary group. And the mercenary group really is appalling, even by the standards of mercenary groups absolutely appalling. They have a record for getting high. It means if you're at the other side and you've got these nutters running towards you all high, it's a very frightening experience. Mm. And this group for years was, we assumed always, was controlled through Moscow. But it gave Putin an opportunity of plausible deniability. In other words, when they took over Crimea and they were wearing their green uniforms, but without any of the insignia, what the Ukrainians called the little green men, Putin was able to say, I don't know who these people are, not connected with me. Mm. It's interesting that since the coup, Putin has come clean and has said that, yes, we have financed the Wagner Group and we have now stopped financing it. So it is interesting that this has come to light, but we're still in the process of trying to unravel exactly what happened. But it certainly fits this pattern that coups are no longer as successful as they used to be. 
Yeah, so going off this article that you mentioned before, it does go into some of the history of coups, so I thought it'd be interesting to talk about it a little bit more. I guess, um, generally speaking, you know, what leads to a coup? Uh, What are the conditions that are needed for something like this to kind of pop off, so to speak? They need partly what's called a bandwagon effect, that as you start to rebel, say if you're a military group, you've got to have other people coming on board because people are worried about being seen to be on the losing side, whichever side that is. Mm. They don't want to be seen to be on the losing side. And so as the ranks swell, then they begin to build up more and more supporters in readiness for what's going to be happening. So you've got to build up a momentum for it. But it's important if you're at the other end, like Putin, you've got to remain calm and in control. He used this example of Recep, Tayyip Erdogan, the Turkish leader, who in 2016 was the victim of an attempted coup and he just kept broadcasting via the social media app FaceTime Mm. and remained calm and ultimately that coup attempt failed. Obviously, you've got to build up this degree of momentum. He recommends that you have a military. If you're going to have a coup, you've got to have a military. Yeah. Um, And he's uh, particularly fond of quoting the example of Thailand, where the coups are usually executed by the military brass who announce that they are toppling civilian politicians. So you've got the military on your side and you then build up the momentum. And that's clearly a key factor. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter, and this week we're looking at coups and why they fail. Keith, why do coups often fail? Well, I think that the basic thing is that you can't get the momentum to build up. That was obviously, you go back to the Turkish example in 2016, there was obviously an, a very determined attempted coup, very different from the one with the Wagner group, which seems to have been a bunch of amateurs by comparison. The one against President Erdogan of Turkey seemed to be much better organised, but even so he was able to stare them down. And the military decided to side with the government. You had some people in the ranks who were obviously supporting the rebels, but the majority decided to support the president. And so it's very difficult to do that. Also, you need to be able to take the ruling junta or ruling government by surprise, at a moment of weakness. I guess, of course, you know, Przorging would say, well, look, I was doing that with Putin because Putin was bogged down in Ukraine. I saw a moment of opportunity to act, although it wasn't sufficient. But it's certainly something you need to look at, that if you are undergoing other issues, in fact, in the article, he talks about the way in which coups have been carried out while the dictator is undergoing surgery abroad. <laughs> oh, that doesn't seem fair. <laughs> so exactly. So if you're not around to run the country, this is a give people a window of opportunity. Mm. He goes on to say, what would a military gambit against Putin be required? He says it doesn't probably require mass casualty tank battle or a gunfight in the streets of Moscow. Instead, a successful coup requires one of two things defections to the plotters, in other words, the military and others siding with the coup plotters, or in action against them. And he's looking at what happened at Rostov-on-Dom. So Rostov-on-Dom is western side of Russia. It's the staging post for the invasion of Ukraine, particularly in the Donbass area, the eastern side of, of Ukraine. 
And Pijorgin got into Rostov von Dom, was almost welcomed as a liberator. Mm-hmm. And we have reports of the civilians giving the soldiers, the mercenaries, drinks and food. That would have been a real moment of horror for Putin to see fellow Russians supporting this mercenary group. So that was certainly a significant development at Rostov-on-Don. And so obviously you had a number of Russian soldiers said, well, I'm not going to be risking my life trying to put down this attempted coup. I'll just go with the flow. Ironically, he took control of Rostov-on-Don keep on saying on Don because there's another Rostov to the north. Okay. So Rostov on Don. <laughs> he took Rostov on Don in the way that he thought he was going to take Kiev. But in fact, at Kiev, they put up a determined battle. But at Rostov on Don, they were not willing to uh, be hostile towards the Wagner group. So that gave him the impetus to then march on Moscow up this main highway. But it then just sort of fizzled out. I think maybe he just simply did the calculations that he was not going to win that easily, even though clearly he had public support in one part of Russia, it wasn't going to be enough to tip the entire country. Don't forget, we're talking about 140 million people. Mm. It's very difficult to get them all mobilised to support your point of view, particularly since they've been so used to the terror inflicted by Putin. So I could imagine quite a number of Russians would have said, well, we're not going to move because this could be a super sophisticated Putin plot to see who actually is against Putin. In other words, that if I show support for the mercenaries, and the whole thing is just a a plot to reveal who the undesirables are, then I'll be risking my own life. Mm. So that's another reason, I think, why the whole thing sort of fizzled out. People did their own personal calculations. Is it worth risking my life to support this group, or should I try to sit it out and somehow see how things pan out? And Putin was good. He, as the article says, he engaged in extensive coup proofing, which means that he'd taken steps to ensure that when someone starts shooting at his forces, they shoot back rather than turning their weapons on him. Remember, this is a key factor. You need to have people defecting against you for you to be overthrown. Well, Putin had made sure that wasn't going to happen. And so what we see then is that Putin has remained in control. He's got the security and intelligence services like the FSB, who are obviously out, I should imagine, at this very moment, looking for Bajorgin with a view to killing him. Putin might have said, well, we we won't follow through on the attempted coup. But if you look at the people who've died in Salisbury in England and whatever, and a surprising number of Russians seem to fall out of windows. (laughs) (laughs) My advice to Bajorgin is don't stand near a window, my friend. Um, So the FSB will continue to look for him because this is the way that life goes on in Russia. You have a leader who says one thing but gives instructions to his organisations to do something else. Yeah, so, I mean, we got that message from Prigozhin kind of hinting at where he was but still no confirmation. It seemed, from an outsider's perspective, A, the coup felt totally out of nowhere. I remember waking up on Saturday morning that weekend and going, what is going on? But B, also, you know, we don't know what's happened since. So what do you think has actually gone on with Prigozhin and Putin? Has he been directed, is all forgiven? It felt like it was like, go live in Belarus and that's where you'll stay. The whole day, really, that Saturday, which is so memorable, Saturday Australian time, is so memorable because Putin's anger in the morning had been reduced by the afternoon. 
in effect saying to the mercenaries, you, you, you can go home or you can join the Russian army or you can stay where you are and just continue life as normal. So Putin was shown to be weak and, of course, that's a problem for the government. As soon as people can see blood in the water, they're beginning to see his weakness. But since we haven't seen the mercenary leader, it may well be that he's already been taken care of. Really? And my view is that, you know, we need to see him still alive and flourishing of whether or not Putin has, uh, has honoured his promise about not attacking him. My guess is that Putin will have also have given instructions to FSB, that's the old successor to the KGB, to find him and kill him. Wow. And remember, he's just over the border in Belarus, so he hasn't fled all that far. He can be tracked down. Okay, well, I guess we'll have to wait and see. And just quickly before we finish up, Keith, what do you think the future of Putin's regime looks like now? What's the future going to hold? Well, it's certainly weakened. Prizhorgin has lost, but I'm not sure that Putin has won. I think that Putin has been revealed to be weak. He's got people who don't agree with his timing in power. They think that he's surrounded by inept individuals running the military. We're talking about a country of 140 million trying to invade a country of 40 million. The Ukrainians are incredibly outnumbered. Mm. And yet here they are, well over a year later, still putting up an impressive fight, albeit with Western equipment, which is grudgingly being supplied to them. I think in the long term, Putin is finished. And he's had 23 years in power. That's a good run. We like to dabble in the idea of what might happen, but we have to wait and see. Absolutely. Thank you, Keith. Global Truths is presented by Dr. Keith Suda and me, Sasha Barber-Gatt. Audio production by Niall Fernandez. Theme and original music by Matt Nicolich.